This is the Birth, Baby, and Life podcast with Kristen Burgess, and we're nibbling our way into episode number 98. Welcome to the Birth, Baby, and Life podcast, the tips, tools, and straight talk you want for pregnancy, childbirth, and bringing up baby. And now your host, Kristen Burgess. Hi, this is Kristen from naturalbirthandbabycare.com. And I am really excited to be back with you this week, and I am super excited to be welcoming another guest to this week's podcast. This week, I'm talking to Sarah Bester. She is a family nutritionist and a picky eating coach, and talking with her was a lot of fun and really fascinating. I think if you're worried about how do I start solids, or if you've got a toddler who you think might be thinking about getting picky, or who is definitely a confirmed picky eater, or you're just trying to figure out how to get more healthy food into your family's diet, this is definitely an episode that you're going to want to listen to. So with that, let's jump right into it and see what Sarah has to say. Hi, this is Kristen from naturalbirthandbabycare.com, and I am thrilled to have a guest on the podcast today. Her name is Sarah. Sarah Bester is a family nutritionist. She is also a picky eating coach and a mama herself. Sarah's own health issues caused her to seek a naturopath who helped her to tweak her nutrition, and to her surprise, she found that she suddenly felt better than she ever had. That ignited a passion for holistic nutrition, and she actually became a certified nutrition practitioner. Now, she planned to cook great meals for her kids when they came along, and then she had one, and realized that kids have minds of their own, especially about things like food and nutrition. Thus, her passion for helping families have better diets and great little eaters came in. Hi, Sarah. Thank you so much for being here. Hi, Kristen. Thank you so much for having me. I am thrilled to be on your podcast. That is awesome. Now, I know that I gave a little bit of an intro, but could you tell us more about your journey into holistic nutrition and, and like, especially about how that journey led you to helping families? For sure. So, like you mentioned, I, you know, I won't get into too much detail about my health issues, but I did suffer a number of health issues starting in about university when I was the one who kind of had a bit more control over what I was eating. So I was not eating very well, <laughs> as most people in university find themselves, you know, eating lots of fried foods and, you know, sugar and, and whatnot. And, you know, over the, the few years that I was there, I, yeah, I just started to suffer a, a bunch of different system uh, symptoms. And it kind of culminated in some major digestive issues. I was tired all the time. Um, skin rashes, all that kind of stuff. And I really felt, I started to get me down. I started suffering from some mental um, health issues as well. Because, you know, part of it might have just been, uh, you know, from the food I was eating, but also just having those types of symptoms, I felt like I was not getting the most out of life. I, you know, all my friends would be going out. I would be too exhausted um, to, to do that. I felt like I could barely get through the day without having a couple of naps, and it really started to get me down. So this went on for a number of years, and like you said, I, I finally, someone, I don't remember who it was, suggested that I see a naturopath. I'd been to the doctor many times. I'd been on prescription medications. Like, none of it was working. And so I went to see the naturopath, and I mean, without getting into too much detail, she literally made a few minor tweaks to my diet. Um, you know, I did some food sensitivity tests. She gave me a few supplements, and within, I would say, a matter of weeks, I was feeling better than I ever had in my entire life. It was like a fog had kind of lifted off of me. It was, yeah, yeah. it was amazing. 
Yeah, and it just kind of really drove home to me the power of food. I didn't realize how powerful food was and how it really impacted your life. And from that minute onward, I was like dedicated to finding more out about all of this. And so I decided to go back to school for holistic nutrition. I was working in the field of human resources for a number of years, but I went back to school. And at first it was just kind of a, a out of interest. But while I was there, I got pregnant with my first child. And I, from, you know, from the minute I was pregnant, I knew that I did not want him to go through what I had gone through. I wanted him to, from the very beginning, you know, have a long and vibrant life and feel amazing because I really feel like if you feel amazing, you really have the opportunity to do whatever you want to do. And so I wanted to give him that yeah. opportunity that if he wanted to, you know, be a marathon runner, if he wanted to go into politics, that he wasn't going to be feeling so lethargic and sick that he couldn't follow his dreams. So that's kind of, I had that idea right from the beginning. And so I, you know, I said, I'm just going to feed him as healthy as can be from the minute he comes out. You know, all he's going to get is um, organic food and, uh, you know, all the good healthy stuff. And, and you know, he's going to he's going to be great, feeling great. And, and I mean, for those listeners out there who already have children, you probably realize that that was a bit of a pipe dream. <laughs> I think I was really optimistic that I could just do that. And so, yeah, it was a bit of a wake-up call when I started to feed him solids and realized that kids don't just eat whatever you put in front of them. Um, they do have a mind of their own. And so I realized early on that I was going to have to take a bit of a different approach. And it wasn't like he was the pickiest eater in the world, but I soon started to understand that children – um, you know, that it's not just as simple as they'll eat whatever you want. And so I, you know, around that time, I had to kind of figure out a focus um, in my nutrition practice. And so I really dove headfirst into learning about children's habits in terms of, of feeding children and raising a healthy eater. And so it was perfect timing because I was able to try all the strategies on my son as he kind of, you know, was moving along the feeding spectrum and, you know, had great success with, having a child who, you know, tries new things and um, loves a wide variety of food. And it really, you know, all of this learning that, I, that I've kind of done over the years, it's really driven home the fact that how you feed your child from, from the early stages is really, really important when it comes to raising a healthy eater who's going to eat a wide variety of food in the long run. Yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, that kind of moves into the next question really, you know, really well. So... I mean, all of us, I think, we all have this sense of, okay, we need to have healthy eaters as kids because, like, all of us as parents are just like you, you know, we're picturing all those beautiful organic curries <laughs> and stuff we're going to be serving. Um, but, but really, could you drill into why it's so important to help our kids become healthy eaters, like, now while they're kids? Yeah, I mean, it really comes down to what I like to say. It's hard to teach an old dog new tricks, right? And, you know, it's not that adults, can't change, but I think as adults, we all know it's a little bit harder to change our habits once we get older and have oh, yeah. habits get established, right? I mean, I worked with a lot of clients early on when I was in nutrition school, and like it just like drove me crazy that I would have this really great protocol and like you need to eat this and do this or whatever, and so many of them just like were like you know just couldn't do it. It's really really hard to change those ingrained habits. So. Um, you know, the earlier habits are formed, the more likely that they are to stick. And so that's why I think it's so important and that's why I'm so passionate about instilling those habits in kids when they're young so that we're, we're setting them up for success basically for the long term. And the thing I always like to really emphasize with parents when it comes to feeding our kids is that we have to have a long-term view. This is not something that's going to happen overnight. I'm not going to be able to give you, you know, five little tips and within five days your child's going to be eating everything, right? It's, it's, uh, it's investing in 
certain strategies and certain practices when they're young so that as they get older, they're going to make those choices to eat those healthy foods. They're going to love and appreciate the vegetables themselves as they get older because we're not going to be there when they're going off to university to shove broccoli down their throat, right? So we need yeah. to find ways to get, you know, encourage them to make those healthy choices for themselves. Yeah, totally. Yes, because they get minds of their own and make food choices really quickly. And with my older kids, it's like we still pretty much control what they eat, but Mm-hmm. Thinking about some of the things that they that they would eat if it, they were left up to their own devices, and all you can think is, you know, like, okay, I've got four more years, and I hope that when that four years is over, yeah, that she's making good food choices. So, <laughs> exactly, yeah. exactly. Okay, so many many parents are able are they're worried about getting their kids to eat right, but as you discovered, you can't just force a kid to eat. And, I mean, like, we think about, you know, toddlers want to eat white, 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 and white. Is there really any hope to teaching typical (laughs) toddlers to enjoy nutritious foods? (laughs) Absolutely. There definitely is. Um, Now, it's, you know, that's a a big question because every child, once they get to the toddler or the preschooler stage, there's a number of different factors that go into picky eating. And so the first thing whenever I work with, with parents and with their children is that I really try to get to the root of the problem and figure out why that particular child is picky. And I mean, there are some biological reasons why kids are generally picky, but oftentimes there are other factors that can be at play. So it could be, there could be health issues involved. So if a child is suffering from um, digestive issues or some sort of health issue, that's going to really impact their appetite and their willingness to try new foods and that kind of thing. Um, you know, there's a lot of things that are going on at the dinner table that can contribute to picky eating. So I will, you know, sit with parents and try to kind of dive deep into what's happening at meals um, and all that good stuff. And so, you know, I always try to approach kids as as an individual because different things are going to work for different kids. Personality also plays a factor, right? There's a lot of kids who are very stubborn and that really, really lends to the way that they look at food and look at eating and and the way that they interact with their parents around that. But I would say for the majority of kind of toddlers and preschoolers, one of the major things that's going on and the major issue that's leading to the picky eating is, is pressure and stress at the dinner table. It's you know, I get a lot of parents coming to me saying mealtime is the worst time of the day. Like, I dread it yeah. every single day. <laughs> and that in and of itself, if a parent says that to me, then I say to them, there's a problem. If they're, if you're, if you're stressed at the dinner table, then 100% for sure your child is also stressed. And stress and anxiety is not an appetite uh, <laughs> inducing feeling, right? So, you know, the the number one thing that I work on with all parents is how can we make the date the table as stress-free and enjoyable as possible? Because we really need to make it a place that kids look forward to coming to and that they enjoy being there. And then you can look at, okay, well, you know, what are they eating and how can we move them to a place where they're accepting more food? Yeah. Yeah, that makes good sense. I know that mm-hmm. and this is actually a personal experience for me that comes up when you were saying that is um, our fourth baby, Galen, had um, just like a lot of sensory issues, like oral sensory issues, a lot of sensory defensiveness. We had a lot of trouble getting him to eat solid food. And mm-hmm. one of the things was like anytime we sat down for a meal, it was super stressful and his issues were such that we had, you know, we had an occupational therapist on board and everything helping us. Yeah. And one of the things that she told me was, 
she said, set a timer for 20 minutes, just like your ordinary kitchen timer, and if he hasn't eaten whatever it was that he was supposed to eat at that point, that's fine. You're done. And uh, mm-hmm. and and just doing that for me, it relieved so much tension because I knew I only mm-hmm. have to sit here for 20 mm-hmm. minutes. And that and I think especially as he got to the point where he was doing better with with navigating the food in his mouth, he realized, okay, if I because he had you know he had picked up a lot of habits that were just habits and things, lazy habits because. But he was ready to move through, and as soon as he realized, okay, when that timer goes off, mom's not going to sit here and, you know, <laughs> wheedle this around until I decide I'm going to eat it. So it eventually helped him, too. But I really think that the biggest reason it helped was because it helped me remove that stress and dread yeah. of meal times because I knew that it was going to end, which immediately yeah. made everything better. So I totally. definitely yeah, think for sure. a lot of truth to that. Yeah. Definitely. And kids, yeah, kids pick up on emotions so easily, right? I think... I think, like, parents probably recognize that in all aspects of parenting. I, I don't know. I mean, I know for my son, like, if if he does something that I don't like in general, the more that I get angry or I get frustrated or, you know, he can t- send him a t- sense in my voice that I'm, like, going to lose it, you know, I think the more he acts out because it's just that, you know, kids, it's a control thing a lot of the time, too. Um, oh, yeah. But, you, you know, you touched on a good point. I mean, sensory issues are definitely something that seems to be on the rise and plays a huge part in picky eating because a lot of times it's not something that parents recognize right off the, get, off the gate. And so, you know, they're engaging in certain practices to try to get their kids to eat or whatever that um, if they had, you know, recognized the sensory issues from the get-go, they might have approached it a little bit differently. So that's why I really, like I said, work from the beginning to try to let to pinpoint, is there anything like that at play? Because it, it can yeah. have a huge impact on how I would advise parents to proceed. Yeah, yeah. And I can, I mean, I can see, and that's for somebody like you who's experienced to be so valuable because you could say, you know, that sounds like it might not be within the realm of just normal picky eating or something. And mm-hmm. I think that would be invaluable to a parent because, like, for me, mm-hmm. it took a lot of advocacy for me to even get anybody to take me seriously that he yeah, was sure. really having issues. I think it was finally, like, we brought in early intervention, and it was finally when I told the woman from early intervention, look, this is my fourth baby. This is not I was normal. just going to say, that's why you knew. <laughs> yeah, so... But, yeah, and so just, and especially, like, for a mom with a first kid or even a first or second, but, I mean, just having somebody mm-hmm. else say, look, that. So I think there's definitely something great to being able to figure out what's going on for this kid. I mean, obviously, there's going to be blanket advice that works well, but being able to get that feedback or look and see or have somebody mm-hmm. say, this sounds like maybe maybe there's something else going on, another avenue we could explore is incredibly valuable. And I think we're really yeah. stressed for parents ultimately, too. Mhm, for sure. And I think, yeah, as okay. a parent, you typically know if something's, you know, not quite right. Yeah, so, yeah. So trust, trust your gut when it comes to feeding. It, you know, you, you know, you want to, you want to trust your child, but at the same time, you know, if you think that there might be something amiss, it can't hurt to get a, a, someone's opinion, who who knows, yeah. who's seen it before. Okay. Well, let's. Let's talk a little bit about something that might be considered kind of typical. Like, what what could we do to help a toddler that's stuck and say, like, I only want to eat chicken nuggets, right? Yeah, yeah, that's a that's a typical um, issue for a lot of um, for a lot of toddlers. I mean, I think, like I said, pressure is key for sure. Um, trying to make sure that like there isn't a lot of pressure on kids because. 
pressure actually has the opposite effect that it's intended to. I mean, there's a lot of new research out there around the fact that um, if we're putting pressure on our kids to eat, if they even get the the smallest inkling that we want them to eat something, they're probably not going to eat it. So trying to find ways to kind of relieve that pressure. And, you know, one of the other kind of foundational strategies that I work on with parents um, is really establishing a routine when it comes to feeding kids. So for the majority of, of kind of families out there, I mean, we're all so busy that it's very easy to just kind of get into the routine of feeding kids whenever they say they're hungry or, you know, constantly having snacks available so that we're sure that our kids are getting food when they need it. But the big issue with that is that I feel like we're raising a bit of a um, a culture of kind of uh, grazing kids that are con- yeah. constantly eating and then never really hungry. And so yeah. they're coming to meals, you know, like not necessarily full, but not hungry. And, you know, you're a lot more likely to try something new if you actually are hungry. And yeah. sometimes it takes a lot of work with parents to kind of have them understand or accept that it's okay for your child to be hungry. In fact, when you come to a meal feeling hungry, it actually tastes a, a whole lot better. So, you know, I, I try to really work with parents on coming to terms with that idea that, you know, it's okay for your child to be hungry when they come to meals. In fact, it's a good thing. Cool. I think that's great advice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what is it they call it? They call it something in French. A bon malady. Yes. Yeah, the yeah, yeah. yeah. Hunger. Something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the French really okay. have a lot of uh, good insight on some of this stuff. <laughs> I guess they are, you know, they're a foodie, so. <laughs> yeah. yeah. They value, I guess, kids who will eat much better than, than us busy mm-hmm. American kids. Mm-hmm. Okay. So we've, well, we've talked a little bit now about toddlers and older kids, but let me ask you a million-dollar question, especially for a lot of the mommies <laughs> listening to this while they're pregnant. Can we do anything to, like, prevent our kids from becoming picky eaters in the first place? <laughs> Yeah, that is a million-dollar question. I mean, I would love if pregnant moms came to see me. You know, it's it's not typically something that when you're pregnant, that's the, that's the top of mind question that you have. So it's not, you know, often that uh, that I get pregnant moms coming to me about this stuff. But, um, I mean, picky eating, there are so many things that play into it. Um, genetics are one thing, you know, kids are just, genetically kind of predetermined that they're going to be a bit cautious of food at the beginning. So there's nothing that we can do about Mm -hmm. that. But there are things that we can do when we're pregnant to help expose our children to kind of flavors um, and kind of get them used to the idea of variety. So the one piece of advice that I give to all pregnant moms, you know, if they if I do get asked, is that when you're pregnant, you know, your child actually, there has been studies that show that children who are exposed to a wide variety of flavors while they're in the womb actually are more accepting of a wide variety of flavors and foods when they are born and when they start solids. So there's actually one particular study where they fed moms, you know, carrots every day or something like that. And when the child came out, they were actually drawn towards carrots when they were kind of given the option. So, you know, if we can just try and eat a lot of variety, and I know for some moms at the beginning when you're, you know, going through the first um, little bit, but the morning sickness and stuff, that's hard. Don't feel guilty about that. But as soon as you're feeling better, really make it a mission to, you know, try to eat lots of strong flavored things, um, you know, lots of different types of fruits and vegetables. And, you know, it's just one of those small things that can really just, you know, just help the beginning stages of getting your child exposed to different flavors and, and lots of variety. 
Okay. That's really cool. Kate's preference does really funny. start in the womb. <laughs> that's yeah, that's really interesting. Like, I mean, I know mm. that taste has some impact. Like, as you hear about the studies where, like, breastfed babies will nurse more vigorously if the mom's eaten garlic. But it's really interesting right. to think that, like, even in the womb, like, just I guess you can be, you know, baby, baby in the amniotic fluid is getting a sample of. That's really cool, really. Yeah. Yeah, it's something to do with the amniotic fluid. Like, the amniotic fluid actually, you know, that holds the flavors and, and um, you know, then it's kind of transferred to the baby, so... Yeah, very interesting stuff. Yeah, that is cool. So do you work with families when they're just introducing solid foods to baby? Or, in, I mean, do you have suggestions for a family that's just getting started with solid foods? This is something I get asked about a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I definitely, definitely do. I have a I have a whole program that I work through with parents, and it's actually my favorite time to work with parents because, you know, the earlier – you start the better. It's never too late, but the earlier that you can start with a child, the more likely you are to be able to establish those habits and get them started off on the right foot. So the number one piece of advice that I give to moms when they're starting solids is to really just relax and follow your baby's lead. So what I mean by that is that it's really easy, I mean, especially for first-time moms, right? We, I remember even being a first-time mom, you really just want to do everything exactly right. You don't want to screw things up. And I think a lot of moms look to me for kind of a manual, right, of this is exactly how much you should feed your child and this is exactly what foods you should feed your child in this order, you know, on these days. And it doesn't really work like that because every child is different, which as I kind of alluded to before, and every child is going to move along the spectrum of of eating at a different pace than other children. So the really important thing to keep in mind when it comes to feeding kids in general is that like learning to eat is is a skill. This is not something that kids are born with and it's similar to riding a bike or walking or talking in that we need to help our children learn that skill. And so some children are going to learn faster than others and it's really, really important when we're starting out to just kind of follow their lead and let them move at the pace that is right for them. And so, you know, examples of this would be um, some children right away are big eaters, right? Like they take to the food right away, um, yeah. maybe at the six-month mark or whatever. Where other children, you know, I think parents a lot of times hear that six-month mark, and if they have a child who maybe isn't that keen on eating food at that point, they get really stressed out about it. And then what happens is that they kind of end up maybe putting a lot of pressure or trying to shove the food in their mouth or, you know, all those things that um, that can actually make mealtime unpleasant. And, you know, our biggest goal should be that kids are going to love mealtime, that kids are going to enjoy eating. And if a child is feeling like they're getting forced to eat when they're not ready, it can really just start things off on the wrong foot. So, you know, moms just need to really just kind of take a step back and realize that, our kids are born with that innate ability to kind of eat when they're supposed to, eat the amount that's right for them. And if we can just kind of follow their lead and move them along that spectrum slowly, they're going to, you know, their habits and their, their relationship with food and their kind of eating um, routine is just going to be a lot more pleasant and they're they're going to enjoy the whole process a lot more. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, you know, the the thing to keep in mind is that, um, yeah, every baby is really different and, and just try not to compare 
compare themselves with other with other children. Like I know some kids who, my daughter, she was really huge on the baby led weeding early on, and she took to that right away. Whereas I know other babies who are only comfortable with purees up until say nine or ten yeah. months, and that's okay. It's, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, that was something that, like for me with Galen, um, he was definitely a teacher, but like because I had done baby led weaning <laughs> up to then, and he just. He wasn't yeah. going to be able to do that. I mean, we had to go to purees and then work our way up with him and just, I guess, yeah. kind of realizing that different kids are different and need different things and, it, you know, there's not really a right or wrong. I think sometimes, I mean, so many, with so many parenting issues, there can be like this, I'm right and you're wrong, but it's mm-hmm. like, okay, with baby food, it's just do what, you know, do what works for your kid and don't, don't sweat exactly. it if you've got the puree and, don't feel guilty if someone's like, what do you mean you haven't started purees at six months and everything? It's just- yeah. Yeah, some kids aren't ready at six months. And, like, that's what I always tell parents, if, you know, because I get a lot of, like, really stressed out emails, like, oh, my gosh, it's six months and my child doesn't want the food. And I'm like, you know what? Just hold off for a few more weeks and try it again. You know, they're just, they're, yeah. you know, they just aren't quite ready yet. And they're they're trying to tell you that. Um, so we just got to listen to them. Yeah. And I think it's good. Parents need to hear that. So I appreciate mm-hmm. you saying that. Yeah, and I mean, it all comes, and I always like to kind of, you know, add that, you know, it's, we, we, we are doing all these things with good intentions, right? As moms, like, we want to do the best for our baby. And so, you know, I don't, I totally understand why moms want to make sure that their child is, is doing what's exactly right. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I just, we just got to make sure as moms, it's our job to kind of just support our child through that feeding process at the, at the pace that's right now. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's a nice way to put it, support them through it. Okay. So I actually, I just literally, this is yesterday, I actually just had a mom ask me what to do. Because she says her baby's really reluctant to eat meat. So she's eating all the veggies and fruits that they've tried with gusto. She doesn't seem mm-hmm. to care for the meat, and the mom's like, you know, I'm buying the most expensive, high quality, totally free of everything, grass-fed, pastured, <laughs> wonderful meat, and she just, she just doesn't seem interested in it. And you know, she wants her, yeah. she's like, she wants her to get that nutrition. So she was looking for tips, like, and one of the things she's worried about is like, should I hide, you know, should I hide the food, or should I hide the mm-hmm. meat? And she felt like maybe that's not right. So she was just kind of wondering, and mm-hmm. I was, I just figured, you know, I'll throw that out there for you. Yeah, I mean, um, I can totally see how it can be stressful if your child isn't accepting a certain food. Now, from a nutrition perspective, like as long as, you know, the baby's under a year old and they're still nursing or on formula or whatever, they're getting all of the nutrition that they need from the breast milk or the formula or whatever, right? The, the, the period between six months to a year or even a bit after, solid food is really just for fun. It's the reason that, you know, they don't actually need the solid food if they are nursing or or drinking formula. It's just that, you know, it really helps to start introducing it a little after the six-month mark because, again, it's a, it's a learned skill. So we want to kind of give them the time yeah. to learn that skill so that when they are weaned that, you know, it's not just all of a sudden they, they have to kind of dive right into it. So, um, so, yeah, so it doesn't, the nutrition piece is something that, you know, the mom doesn't necessarily need to worry about right now. However, <clears throat> you don't want to give up on it as either, right? You want to, so if it's, if it's a particular food that a child doesn't accept, again, without pressure and kind of without expectations, we want to just continue to 
serve them that food in a variety of different ways. So if they don't like it, maybe the meat is, maybe she's just pureeing it um, plain. If if the daughter doesn't like it that way, well, then let's try to reintroduce it in a different way. Why don't we puree it with maybe a fruit, um, kind of layer the flavor so that they're getting exposure to it, but maybe with a food that they like. Um, you know, uh, if they if she's eating food that's a bit chunkier, instead of just serving the meat plain on her tray, you could, you know, mix it in with a pasta sauce or it's just trying to continue to serve it in a variety of ways, but without that kind of pressure that could potentially, you know, um, create kind of habits that aren't um, as desirable. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. All right. So let's, let's ask like a, a couple practical questions. Like, so how can a busy mom manage to fit making this nutritious food into her life with, you know, everything she's got going on with her family and herself and everything she's got to do. Any tips for her? <laughs> well, that's me as well. I mean, this is something that even I struggle with. I, in particular, after I had my second child, I was, like, completely um, blown away with how much work it is to make healthy meals, you know, every day and to also implement the strategies, a lot of the strategies that I talk about with moms when it comes to raising healthy eaters, it like include serving lots of variety and trying different foods and you know that's complicated as well. But I mean the main thing is, is that unfortunately if we want to raise healthy eaters and if we want to raise kids that you know accept a wide variety of, of healthy whole foods, the reality is is that we have to cook. And you know unless while moms out there have, you know, lots of money and can hire a personal chef and tell them exactly what to make, we can't really get out of that. And so one of yeah. the other things that I really work with parents on, and so, um, you know, yes, I work with picky eaters, but I also work a lot on providing moms with help on meal planning and meal prep because I really feel that being organized when it comes to cooking and when it comes to meals is very, very key. So I encourage very uh, detailed meal planning and lots of kind of prep ahead of time. Like I run workshops on it even with moms because mm -hmm. it's really, really difficult to raise a healthy eater if you don't have a plan and if you're not kind of thinking ahead about what you're going to make and the types of foods that you're going to serve. And And meal planning, I think a lot of parents and moms get kind of they feel like maybe it's a bit restrictive, but once they start, they start to realize how much time it actually saves them and how yeah. much more control they feel that they have over meal times. And meal times again are much more pleasant when you're not rushing around half an hour before the meal trying to get everything organized. So that yeah, so that's something yeah, I think I, is really important. Yeah, I mean I know that for me, like I'm I'll be like, Oh, I don't want to sit down and plan out a meal or whatever or plan out our week but then when I do, it's just so much different. Like in a week when I didn't plan the meals, you know, it's like 4 o'clock, 4.30, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, I have to figure out what to mm -hmm. make for dinner. If I've got mm -hmm. the meal plan, you know, it's it's already figured out. I just have to go and make exactly. it, or maybe I was really on the ball and put it in the slow cooker or whatever. But yep. it's done, and it's just – it. I. Yeah, I guess it's one of those things that you have to kind of see it to believe it. You have to experience it to believe it. But I'm totally yeah. with you that it really does help. Well, I also think it helps with just like interaction at the at mealtime. So if you come to a, the dinner table as a mom and you have just spent the last hour trying to get dinner ready and it, it's been really stressful because you have a baby crying at your feet and you didn't know what to make, 
you're going to come to the dinner table feeling extra stressed. And so it's going to be a lot harder to be patient with a child who's, <laughs> you know, not eating well or who's, you know, complaining yeah. or acting out at the table. And you're definitely going to be more frustrated if they don't eat it because, you you know, you just feel like, oh, I just spent this last hour. Whereas I find when parents meal plan and when they do a lot of meal prep ahead of time, it's just they're coming into dinner feeling more relaxed and it really helps with, implementing some of these kind of picky eating strategies because, yeah, they're going into it into a, in a better place and so they can have better interactions with their kids. Yeah. Cool, cool. Okay, so we touched on this a little bit with the puree for the baby, but let's maybe thinking about it a little bit more with older kids or, or when they've hit the quote-unquote picky eater stage, not just experimenting anymore. Should Should parents, like, hide the good stuff "Quote unquote" inside recipes, or is it hurt more than it helps when we're when we're hoping to raise a kid who's comfortable and even enthusiastic about a wide variety of flavors? <laughs> yeah, I know I get this question a lot, and I kind of get it with parents that they're kind of like, ah, uh, yeah, I, I, you know, I do this, and I just want to make sure. But uh, yeah, I mean, the problem with well, there's there's a couple problems with hiding things. I mean, first of all, I know parents are coming at that from a very good place, right? They want I understand how they want to get certain nutrients in, and especially if they have a picky child, they're really worried about their vegetable intake or, you know, intakes of certain nutrients, and so it seems like an easy fix to just kind of sneak it in, and then you can kind of, you know, check that box off. But I I definitely kind of advise against it for a couple of reasons. So um, number one... I'm really big on creating kind of positive association with food. So even if a child is not eating a certain food, so I, I always use broccoli as an example because it's an easy one, but even if a child doesn't like broccoli or won't accept broccoli, the last thing we want to do is have them really um, have an emphasis in their head that broccoli is bad and gross. And I mean, we have a lot to come up against because our society really gives vegetables a bad rap, in my opinion. And yeah. <laughs> so, you know, we want to try to work, you know, even if they're not eating that vegetable, we want them, we want to work towards kind of creating a positive association. So, you know, one way we can do that is, um, you know, serving it in lots of fun different ways and, and you know, um, not pressuring our kids to eat it because when we pressure kids to eat it, they, they think, oh, well, there must be something wrong with it. Um, and then the same thing goes with sneaking. So if we're sneaking, say, spinach into a smoothie, that just re- and they catch us. Um, that reinforces the idea. Well, spinach must not be very good because we have to sneak it into a smoothie. So you know, it just yeah. again that bad association. It just kind of reinforces that in their mind. So that's number one why I don't love it. Um, number two, I also think it's a lost opportunity to expose our child to a food that we're trying to get them to accept. So again, using the spinach smoothie example, if we want to put spinach in a smoothie. Well, that's fine, but I think it's a great idea to show your child that you're putting spinach in the, in the smoothie. And that's, again, it has to do with kind of that positive association. So if they see us put the spinach in the smoothie, they like smoothies, they try it, and they say to themselves, wow, you know, this actually doesn't taste so good. That's a positive association, a link being created about spinach. And so it's starting to kind of shift in their head the idea that spinach might possibly be good. And it might still take them a while to get to a place where they're going to eat it in a salad or on its own, but we don't want to lose that opportunity to really help make that connection, that good connection with with fruits and vegetables. Um, and I always say fruit vegetables, that tends to be the one that parents are trying to sneak in. Uh, yeah. And then the very last thing, which I think is probably the most important, is that when we're feeding kids and we're trying to create healthy habits, trust in the feeding relationship is 
huge and is really, really, really important because we're, we want our children to, to trust that, you know, the food we're putting in front of them is, um, kind of what they expect, um, that we're not going to pressure them. There's a lot of kind of just trust involved in, in general. And so if a child catches mm -hmm. us, sneaking something in there and then and they will catch you eventually <laughs> you know one day you'll put too much spinach in that smoothie and they'll taste it um they're going to be really hesitant to trust you in the future and it can really yeah. um impact yeah your that kind of relationship with food and the relationship that you guys have in terms of feeding and they're never going to trust anything you put in front of them again so that is something we really want to avoid yeah yeah that's a really good point yeah, and I should add that, like, okay. I'm all for mixing things in to make it more palatable, for sure, but just let them know that you're doing it, and, in fact, get them involved yeah. in doing it. My son typically will sit there and throw the spinach into the smoothie while we're making it, and so he's well yeah. aware that it's in there, and just kind of make it, uh, don't make a big deal about it. Yeah, yeah, like, it's just a smoothie ingredient that we add. It's not something mm -hmm. mm -hmm. Okay, so... What would be, like, your number one tip, if you had to narrow it down, for raising kids who have a healthy relationship with food? Yeah, it's a tough one. I have a lot of good tips. But I would say the number one tip would be, as parents, for us to work on our relationship with food. So I oftentimes have parents come to me who are kind of gung-ho on their kids eating a certain diet, but then when I kind of delve into what they're eating, it doesn't align with what they want yeah. their kids to eat. And I think it's because, you know, as you know, as parents, we are kind of selfless and we always want better for our kids probably than we want for ourselves. Yeah. And But the yeah. problem is, is that, yeah, is that, you know, kids obviously like idolize us and if they're you know you're not you know you're not um walking the talk and you're not kind of doing what you're expecting your children to do it's never going to stick and it's never going to work so the thing when it comes to healthy eating and whole foods and kind of a healthy lifestyle is that as a family you need to make it part of your everyday life we need kids to see that as normal we need kids to see cooking as normal we need kids to see you know, a wide variety of different fruits and vegetables as normal. Um, you know, if you look at certain countries where, you know, kids are eating foods that maybe we look at and think, oh, my gosh, I could never get my kids to eat that. Well, those kids are growing up seeing those foods as normal. So for them, it's not weird. And so we need to have the same kind of attitude when it comes to, it, you know, the, the types of food we want we want our kids to eat. We want them to see a parsnip and not think that that's an odd food. We want them to, yeah. you know, come to expect that we're going to have different types of meals every day and you're not going to get chicken nuggets every night. So, And once that stuff becomes normal, it's a lot easier for them to accept it and for them to just kind of accept that, you know, this is the way things are. And, it, you know, it takes a lot longer for some kids than others, especially if, you know, you're not starting this till they're a bit older, but that's why I kind of said, you know, if you can start this from the beginning, so for the moms out there who are listening who are pregnant or who are just have a new baby, if you can kind of make this part of your lifestyle right from the beginning, they won't know any different. And so it'll be a lot easier for them to learn to like those foods and accept those foods and try those foods as they get older. Yeah, that's really good advice. Okay, so thank you, Sarah. Can you, you, now you have more resources for parents. Could you tell us where listeners can find out more about you and how you can help them with their little ones? 
Yeah, for sure. So I would say the best place for people to go if they're interested in kind of learning more of my tips and hearing more from me is I have a Facebook group. Um, it's called the Raising Healthy Eaters Facebook group. You should be able to kind of just search it, um, or I'm guessing you'll probably put a link to that in the show notes. Yeah. And um, it's basically a yeah, awesome. It's a private Facebook community where it's all kind of like-minded moms who are either have picky eaters or who are interested in raising healthy eaters. And I provide kind of weekly tips. Um, we all share recipes. You know, people ask questions and, you know, all the moms kind of chime in. And it's, you know, it's kind of we're all in this together. Um, we're all in the trenches trying to feed our kids the best we can. And so it's a really, really great place um, to kind of learn more about that journey. Um, I also have a, um, on my Facebook kind of fan page or my Facebook Facebook business page. Um, I also do a live weekly kind of Raising Healthy Eaters Facebook live chat. So I do it on Wednesday evenings at 8.30 p.m. Eastern time. And it's just kind of a, you know, a, a time for after the kids go to bed for myself and, you know, whatever moms or dads are watching, for us to just chat about different yeah. topics related to raising healthy eaters and uh, for opportunity to ask questions live. So I always leave a bit of time at the end for kind of a live Q&A. So if you have a burning question that I didn't get to in the podcast, you can always tune into that and um, and uh, ask me there. Cool. All right. That sounds great. Thank you so much again, Sarah, for being here, for answering our questions, for giving us tips on our little ones. It's really been a pleasure. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's been great. I want to thank Sarah again for that awesome interview. I got a lot out of it, and I hope that you did too. It was really excellent. I love having guests on the podcast because everybody has, you know, the things that they're passionate about. And when you can hear that passion coming through, and especially when it's empowering to you as a mom or to you as parents, that's really cool. So thank you for being a listener. Thank you for listening to Sarah and I have our discussion. Um, I hope that you got a lot from it. And again, if you can take a minute to leave a rating or even a little review on iTunes or on Stitcher or in the Google Podcasts, we would really appreciate it. It just, it really helps more families find out about the podcast when you take just a couple seconds to leave a rating or even when you take a minute or two to leave a review. It gets the podcast out in front of other listeners and helps other moms get this information for pregnancy, birth, and raising their babies. One of the things that I think is really cool is when I get an email from a listener who says, your podcast really helped me. And I'll admit that probably my favorite version of those emails is when I get one with a picture of a beautiful newborn attached to it that says, I just had this amazing birth experience and I'm so glad that I found your podcast while I was pregnant. But I get them from listeners at all stages of the motherhood journey. I even get them from grandmas who found the podcast and were able to share it with uh, with their daughter or their daughter-in-law. And that's really cool, too. So I love knowing that this podcast is making a worldwide impact. And I really appreciate it when you take just a minute to leave that rating, leave that review, even to share it with your friends, to share it on Facebook, to pen one of the episodes on Pinterest. Anything like that really, really helps a lot. Okay, with that, I will have all of Sarah's information so that you can find her in the show notes, and I will talk to you next week. I hope that you have a blessed week. Thanks for listening to the Birth, Baby, and Life podcast with Kristen Burgess. For great resources and tons more info, visit www.birthbabylife.com. Visit www.birthbabylife.com.